Welcome to Mostly Books Meets, the weekly podcast for the incurably bookish. We will be talking to authors and creatives from across the world of publishing and discussing the books they have loved. Looking for a recommendation? Then look no further. Head to your favourite cosy spot and let us pick out your next favourite book. On the podcast this week, we have debut novelist Georgina Moore. Georgina has worked in the publishing industry for 20 years and is an award-winning book publicist. It is no wonder that having spent her life immersed in the world of books, that she has decided to put pen to paper and write one herself. That book, The Wonderful and Absorbing The Garnet Girls, is published on the 16th of February, 2023. The story follows three sisters, Rachel, Imogen and Sasha, and their relationship with their charismatic mother, Margot. All families have their secrets and The Garnet Girls are no exception. Georgina Moore, welcome to Mostly Books Meets. Oh, Jack, thank you. What a lovely intro. That's all right. My pleasure. That's one of my... the first times I've heard the intro so far, so it's a bit oh, overwhelming. Oh, no, really? I mean, yeah. it must be, you know, as someone who, you, you know, you're so sort of familiar with the industry, I'm sure. Yeah. But, you know, this is your baby now. This is your book. So it must be seeing things in a new light. You it know, really is. What do they call it? They call it poacher turned gamekeeper. I think that's the expression. Oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> so people keep, people keep asking me about that. But yeah, no, I had I had um, an interview with the bookseller the other day. And um, the interview I know really well, because obviously I've sent lots of it, you know, authors to be interviewed yes. by her. And um, so we were just chatting, catching up. And uh, then she suddenly went, I'm just going to put the tape recorder on now. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> and then I, I did a lot of waffling, Jack, and I suddenly thought to myself, oh, do I need media training? <laughs> Having media trained many, many authors, I kind of just sort of went off on a tangent and she asked me things about the genesis of the book. And my, I wrote the book in lockdown and I, I don't know about yeah. you, Jack, but I, I find that my memory of lockdown is so hazy. Mm. Um, and so things like the genesis, so I was really struggling on that. So I was thinking, right, I need to be better prepared in future. <laughs> <laughs> That's that, yeah, that whole thing that, you know, when you're, uh, when you're in one position, it's kind of easy to be like, oh, you need to do this, you need to do that. And then when you find yourself kind of on I the know. other side, you're like, oh my goodness, like, what am I doing? But also I just realised I'm so seeing things now from the, the author's point of view, because very mm. often someone really annoying like me crops up on the phone and says to someone, look, could you just write 2000 words for my weekly or good housekeeping for a short yeah. story and, and think that it's just, you know, quite an easy thing to do. And now people are asking me to do that. And I'm like, that is quite a big deal to, you know, when you've, yes, you've yeah. written a novel, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to know how to write a short story, for example, or write a journal journalistic piece so I'm sort of now seeing things from the other side and realize how annoying I've been all these years <laughs> <laughs> now on the podcast one thing we always love to do is talk to people about the books that they've loved the books that have mm. kind of shaped them and we always like to sort of start by going back to the past going back to uh to your childhood what was that like for young Georgina and you know were you yeah. much of a reader or did reading come later on what was yeah. oh no I was always a reader I, I, you know, I look at my children now and I just, I feel very sad and sorry that there are so many other distractions that pull mm. them away from reading because I didn't have any of that. And I was properly bookish. And I was thinking about the reading I did as a child and so many books are still so familiar to me, but I was wondering if that's because I revisited them all with my kids oh, by, yes. by reading them to them. So it's kind of that skew slightly, but I do really feel that I remember 
all the uh, the Janet and Alan Alberg books. So things like when I came back to read to my children, each peach pear plum or peepo or any of those, they they just I don't know whether it's sort of it, it's something about the rhyming, isn't it? And it's just in you, and also the feeling you had at the end of Peepo when you suddenly get that shock. So I loved all those, and there's one by the Albergs which I just was so desperate to go back to with my kids, which is Mrs. Wobble, the waitress, and it's just. It's absolutely brilliant. It's all about a waitress who's really bad. (laughs) (laughs) And I think there was something about the chaotic Mrs. Wobble that really appealed to me. And then the one probably that has one of the closest places in my heart is the Madeline books um, by Ludwig Bellemans. Bemmelins. I don't actually know how I say his surname, but they are set in Paris. And they're all about Madeline who goes to this sort of boarding school and they go out in pairs. They walk in pairs around Paris and they've got the most beautiful drawings. And they've made a film out of Madeline, actually. She was always the naughty one. So she was always the one that would walk on, on the Seine. She'd walk on the bridge and they'd be like, don't fall. And she was always getting into adventures. And she just really stayed with me as a character. So I couldn't wait to read it. Uh, to Daisy and Sunny. So I love that. And then all the usual, really, Peter Pan. I remember being read Peter Pan and just that feeling of being when, you know, putting yourself in Wendy's shoes in the room and wanting him to come and visit. I remember that distinctly. Also things like Winnie the Pooh. And there was this book by Charles Kingsley um, that I had called The Water Babies. And I've still got it. I must have had a really old edition with beautiful watercolour paintings in it. And it had the and the babies basically go underwater and they're like swimming underwater as if they're fish. Um, and I really remember that feeling of that magic from that book. Um, so that gives you a kind of idea. But I mean, you know, I was one of those really, really fast readers. I always had a book on the go and it just didn't really stop from that point. And how about in your teenage years? Because some people find a bit of a dip in their reading or has that sort of love and desire to read sort of continued consistently I I never yeah it never stopped and I was really lucky I mean one of the absolute formative kind of I suppose I was it was pre-teen yeah uh, was when I read Anne of Green Gables oh yes um and I you know if you were going to ask me about a character who has inspired me and probably stays with me and maybe is a little bit in my writing, it would be Anne because I'm really interested. And and one of the things lots of early readers of the Garnet Girls have picked up on is that I do love a flawed character. Um, I always get a bit worried when people tell me how flawed they think they are because then I'm (laughs) like, oh, what are you saying about my characters? Anyway, um, but Anne, Anne is just the original and best flawed heroine mm. and there's a lot of darkness there that she carries in a light way um you know you think about it, actually she comes from an abusive background she's penniless she's an orphan she's been treated abysmally she's got no friends or family in the world when she's taken in by the Cuthberts and you know, she it, it, some of the past that's hinted at is really, really dark. Yeah. And yet somehow she has this incredible spirit to survive and find beauty in, in the outside world and in, in the beautiful Prince Edward Island and the settings of her life in Green Gables. But also she doesn't want to be dismissed. She's got this, mm. you know, even, yes. you know, she's when she's fighting with her, her nemesis, Gilbert Blythe, to be top of the class, 
you know, it doesn't really, she's never, it never occurs to her that, you know, the way that people see her as just a girl. And even then, just a girl who's not that, not pretty enough because she's got red hair and she's slightly different looking. So, but she just refuses to be pulled down by all that stuff around her about being a girl and being a redhead. And she fights it with every inch of her spirit. And, you know, in many ways, she's one of the early feminist icons, definitely. And the way she bosses it in all her exams and, and she just refuses to fall for all his romanticism as well and just needs love on her own terms. So, yeah, as you could tell, I, I, I um, probably tell from me ranting on about it, I absolutely loved it. And the fact that she's so, you properly get her interior world. And I think yes. that's something I'm fascinated by as a reader and as a writer, really believing in that interior world. And doing, so it's not a, it's not written, Anne of Green Gables, from the first person, but it, it, in a way you are getting a first person experience from the interior world. So I, I just, I remember that's stayed with me a long, long time. And my daughter, Daisy, who's about the right age to read it, I can tell she is intimidated by my great love for it because she keeps saying to me, oh, do you think I'm, oh, I don't know whether I'm ready because I, I think she feels that if she doesn't properly appreciate it, I'll be really disappointed. Yeah. I'm, I'm really trying hard not to give her that vibe. But yes. It's, prob <laughs> it's probably coming off me. Um, but I just, yeah. And then I just read, I mean, I think there are eight or nine uh, in this series and I just read them all. Um, so that was a big 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 book for me at that sort of 10 11 and then I suppose I kind of went quite quickly into you know big books big reading I had a father who was very bookish and had an amazing collection of books I was so lucky and I remember this moment where we had one of those little um Sony TVs in the kitchen and the little white one that went back you know probably as far as this yeah. and um my mother had it on the kitchen and this black and white movie came on with Laurence Olivier and Greer Garson. And it was an old version of um, Pride and Prejudice. And uh, Laurence Olivier was Darcy and Greer Garson was Lizzie Bennett. And literally my mother still talks about it. I just sort of sat down in the chair and I was spellbound. And I went to my father afterwards and I said, you know, are there, are there more films with Laurence Olivier in? And he, and he 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 absolutely adored all those actors of that time, yeah. Gilgood, Olivier, and told me a lot about them and seen them on the stage as well. He was very lucky. But basically said, well, if you like Pride and Prejudice, you know, why don't you read it? And um, basically plotted me out, which I think was really clever of him, the order to read them in. Oh. because Yeah, because there's a big difference in terms of complexity and maturity in something like persuasion and mansfield park than there is in northanger abbey yeah uh so he started me on northanger abbey sense see if i can remember the order jack northanger abbey sense and sensibility pride and prejudice emma mansfield park persuasion that was what he felt kind of was the, you know, the, 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 there was more in the later ones in terms of complexity. And yes. in Mansfield Park, you all have that, you have that brilliant play within a play, basically. The play that they're all performing reflects their, their terrible, terrible personalities in a really, really clever way. So, yes, yeah, so then I got Austin obsessed and then that quickly led to Bronte's. And yeah, so I remember reaching the end of Austin and going to my father, aren't there any more? 
I couldn't, <laughs> believe, I couldn't believe it. I was absolutely heartbroken. Yeah, that it ended. I think that's such a a reader's dilemma is when you I come know. to the end of a series or even a single book, you know, by, yeah. you know, by an existing author, but, you know, you get the sense that that's the book and that's it. You've got to know these characters or this world and suddenly you sort of have to say, you know, kind of that's it. You're not going to be given any more. You can reread it, but you're not going to be given. It's really know, hard, isn't it? Yeah. I, I tell you who I've just had that with in a, in a more modern uh, way is uh, Taylor Jenkins Reid. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I've got that slight thing, which I think goes back to my days as a bookseller, where if everyone's hyping something or reading someone, I'm a bit like, no, I'm not interested. <laughs> and I think that was because when I was a bookseller and thought I was so cool and yeah, yeah knew uh, everything, yeah. you know, that lots of the Chiswick mothers would come in and sort of say, have you got that book, um, you know, Captain Corelli something, something oh, guitar yeah. <laughs> or something? And I go, oh, you mean? Uh, or but I think it was also the brilliant Kate Atkinson's first novel, Behind the Scenes at the Museum as well, was the book that everyone was asking for. But it would put you off yeah, because you would feel that everyone was reading it and it had gone mainstream. When you were when you're sort of twenty something bookseller, that's how we all felt. And there's a little bit of me, even though I'm in it, that's still a bit like that. And so I was resisting the whole love for Taylor Jenkins Reid. And then someone sent me Carrie Soto and it was just the right time. It was a proof. It looked great. And of course, going back to what I was telling you about my love for flawed characters, Carrie Soto is the most brilliant flawed character. I mean, she's really not that nice. Yeah. Uh, And she's, you know, and and there's sometimes hard to find things that are likable about her. Mm. But again, she has this kind of un- this spirit of, of of wanting things for herself and, and and wanting success and not want not being prepared to be diminished or dismissed. That I just loved, and so then I I think I made the mistake, Jack, of saying on Twitter, book Twitter, you know, what what should I read next? And and so and I then realised that I had read Daisy right at the beginning, ages ago. Oh yes, yeah, which I liked but didn't love as much of Carrie Soto. So then I read Evelyn Hughes and oh, then yeah. I read Malibu Rising. So now I've read all the big ones and I'm totally obsessed with her. I think she's amazing. I love the way she just creates this mood and atmosphere. It doesn't matter whether it's, you know, beach vibes or tennis or. Yes. And also she's just so good at that kind of narrative thread between the past and the present, which I think is so hard to do well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And the interesting thing is there with Taylor Jenkins Reid as well is, you know, we were talking about how people's sort of focus isn't the same. You know, there's all all these apps you can go to to kind of get distraction. But actually also one of the kind of benefits of that has been sort of things like BookTok, which is now a huge area. And Taylor Jenkins Reid has, particularly on there, has gained a huge following. I know. It's been kind of wonderful to see despite sometimes people's worries, actually that younger generation, you know, I mean, they've made BookTok kind of one of the biggest parts of of an app that has something like 2 billion, you know, 2 billion users, which is, which is incredible. And it's so exciting to see them, you know, excitedly discussing these books that they love. And you know, what's interesting about it is, of course, 
having sat in many meetings on this subject uh, in the book industry as they try to work out the metrics of BookTok and how to harness it for sales. And of course, what is powerful about it is there is no way to harness it. And long may that Mm. live that way. And I hope that I mean, even now you're starting to see those threads of advertising, book advertising coming through on TikTok, which of course will have the opposite effect of what people want because yes. <laughs> that's not what BookTok is about. Yes, BookTok is yeah. almost about this sort of self-discovery, isn't it? Mm. I've seen it with Daisy who, who loves BookTok and she then read all the Heartburn books. Oh, yes. And yeah. then she's just read the Summer I Turn Pretty books. And then she was really thrilled because I got, um, I'm starting to get those early Goodreads reviews and someone on Goodreads said that the Garnet Girls really reminded me because of the setting in the beach of, of the yes. summer I turned pretty. And this was literally the best thing you could have said to uh, Daisy. Daisy amazing. was like, oh my God, mum. <laughs> <laughs> what a compliment. Like, I know. What a, yeah. So yeah, I think I'm, I'm such a fan of it, but I do hope in a way that the book world doesn't go in too forcibly with lots mm. of advertising and, and kind of ruin that because absolutely do you know what I mean I think it has to be from having seen what Daisy is influenced by it's peer-to-peer oh yes. absolutely and it's organic and it feels and organic exactly. and also that younger generation who've really grown up with the internet they can also spot more so than I think, oh, you know, people yeah, of definitely. you know, people of my age, they can spot when it's kind of contrived and they really reject mm. it in a way that I think older generations actually don't. I think that, you know, they kind of go, Oh yeah, like I accept that. Yeah. Whereas I don't know, I feel with that younger generation, they're very like, nope, that's not, you know, I it's think kind that's of definitely not, right. And, yeah. And I think, yes, no, I think you're right. I think it kind of has to be left to do its own thing I think um, so I that's think so. the magic of it and then if something could happen with the Garnet Girls on Booktop I'd be really happy yes yeah yeah just putting out there yes yeah everyone pick up the Garnet <laughs> Girls and get on your TikToks right now <laughs> I've asked Daisy to do my TikTok to work with me on my TikTok um, oh nice yeah well I because think... if anyone's gonna know how to do it she is um, and she was so she's I have to be prepared for harsh criticism because she was like, oh. I did I did a video and she was just like, Mom, this is just so cringe. <laughs> I was like, oh god. Oh no. <laughs> You're diving into deep waters there, know. you know, with the know. but yeah, but you have to do I think, you know, it's part of the we've got a shop TikTok now, which I'm actually oh, in brilliant. charge of. I, I did a couple of things because I get a really nice book post of me opening the post, and that seemed to be really oh, lovely, that went yeah. down really well. Because of course, something that we take, you know, you're opening proofs all the time, yes. packages, something we take for granted. Other people are like, oh my god, and you get f- bookmarks and you know yeah. mugs and bath bombs and yeah people love it don't they oh absolutely I mean it's a huge privilege that I find I have to remind myself of a lot looking at kind of a pile of proofs we've got in that day and I'm thinking that's free books for many people if they buy them obviously we're very lucky in Abingdon we have a great local library which we're really happy yes. to work with and that's so important but you know so if you purchase important. a book it's a you know it's a bit of an investment really and you know we're very lucky that we get you know access to so many free things so yeah you're right people are really interested to see that I think you're right Jack and I think you know something will be on everyone's minds with the cost of living and Mm, crisis and and that people will you know have to think twice won't they about Mm. whether they're going to buy in hardback 
that may well shift quite a lot of sales off hardbacks that had had a, mm-hmm. you know, hardbacks had had a resurgence, um, particularly yeah. for brand authors. And because people love the beautiful look of them, the oh, ribbon, the yeah. gilt, and, you know, all those collectible um, things. But it may well be that we see a change mm. uh, again in, in the way the industry works over in response to that, because a hardback, as you say, is an investment. Absolutely. I mean, I think the only thing I would say on things like the paperbacks is, you know, you sometimes hear people muttering in certain places about the cost of books. And, and you, you know, if you take a, a discounted paperback price, and compare it to what you'll spend in Starbucks, for example, mm. on a coffee and a, uh, you know, then you realise and and what you will get from the book that will last you. Well, I don't know how long a book lasts you, Jack. My book doesn't last mm. me that long, but you know what I mean. Yes, yeah, absolutely. So in many ways, I would say this, though, wouldn't I? Books are bargains. <laughs> yes. No, I, I, I would have to agree. And it's a conversation, you know, I've had with customers, but, you know, not in a, you know, because I think it's understandable, you know, if you, mm. do, again, if you don't kind of know how it all works, you no, know, of the course. Eight, you know, $8.99, let's say for a paperback or $9.99, you just kind of see the, you know, the, the price of that and you don't think, but I'm always happy to, you know, discuss it with people because I think mm. actually once you kind of break it down, people go, oh, actually, you know, you're yeah. right. Because, I find people might buy a greetings card and a book and be about the book. You know, they'll be like, oh, books are quite expensive. And, you know, I, I, I would never say to someone, oh, no, you're wrong. How do you know? I just yeah, go, yeah. I see what you mean. But, you know, actually, when you think about it, the time that goes into writing a book, the people mm. involved, the whole yeah, you know, that's mechanics, so true. It, it, they are incredibly it, you that's know, a good way of describing it because it could, it could be two or three years oh, absolutely. Of, of, of an author's life and income. Mm. I, yeah, no, looking at it that way. And greetings cards are pricey. Yes. Just, yeah. When you, yeah, what's that I mean, about? I say that, I say that, I say that when I'm aware that mostly books we do sell quite a lot of greetings cards. Yeah, but, you know, yeah, of course. I just, of course. I just think when, you know, it's funny, certain things people will pick up like a coffee, like a mm. card like yeah. so many other things without thinking about that price because it's under maybe that kind of five pound mark but yeah. something like a book which is you know can be someone's life you know and so many people have been involved with a real community of people yeah that's a, a brilliantly described community there is a community around the book I really like there's a couple of publishers um who've started making sure that in their acknowledgements at the back of the book they have the whole community that was involved oh, in, the, in the book, which is yeah. so nice. I think it was Dialogue Books, who I love, um, who's an imprint, brilliant imprint. Um, actually, now, uh, actually a full publisher, moved from being an imprint to a full, full, oh, full publisher. Oh, yeah, exciting. That's wonderful. Very exciting. But they started that trend of having, mm. um, you know, so you'd have everyone who worked in it on production and who worked on the cover and who worked in yeah. all those, that often those people don't get acknowledged. Um, so that's really nice. Yes, so that that's community. Lo- that's lovely. Yeah, that's lovely to see because you know all of them have you know have pay- played an important role exactly um, in that book. So you've mentioning that you've recently been reading Taylor Jenkins' Read. Are there any sort of other books recently that you've picked up that have really spoken to you, or have you? Yeah. yeah. I usually have, I'm sure you're the same, about three books on the go. Oh, I'm, yeah, I'm terrible. So at the moment, I've just finished. So as part of the promotion for the Garnet Girls, I've been asked to write really very fortunate and feel privileged, but I've been asked to write a few short stories for promotional reasons. But I've never written a short story. Uh, well, I've written one now. Um, so I've been sort of reading short stories. Yeah. Um to help me because they they have a very particular 
art to them. I mean, you mm, almost have absolutely. to go straight in. It's almost like you're, you know, how you pick it. Maybe you're going straight into a conversation that people have been having a while and you've got to quickly pick up the strands of what that's exactly what it seems to be. So I've just read Lily King, who's a novelist I love. And her short story, Five Tuesdays in Winter, it's Picador. But I really, really admire her as a novelist. She wrote a book called Writers and Lovers. And I love her writing. She's absolutely brilliant. I loved Writers and Lovers. So I thought I'd read her. And they're so good, the short stories. So I've been taking quite a lot of advice from authors when I met them, oh, nice. when I meet them on who, and Maggie O'Farrell, who's an author um, I'm very, very lucky to have worked with. Uh, I've looked after Maggie, I know Maggie O'Farrell's PR for over 10 years now. She uh, recommended Alice Munro. Mm. So I'm going to read Alice Munro next. But people have been giving me lots and lots of tips course now I can't remember any of them that's so typical um but yeah Alice Munro and also as someone said going back to Roald Dahl you know the the sort of strange strange stories he what were they called the tales of tales of the unexpected if I yes, got that yeah, right tales yes. Of the, yes yeah um there's a, a brilliant one about a woman I hear I think who sort of <laughs> chops up her husband and puts him in the freezer I remember that one feeds it to the police when they yes. come around I know yeah. So I'm going to go back on those. I mean, are you a short story reader, Jack? Do you? Um, I do actually. Yes. Mm. Yeah. I do. I do like a short story. I um, what, which ones? The ones I've actually most recently picked up is um, a brilliantly bizarre, strange. I loved it. It was like nothing else. Um, Cursed Bunny, which is um, a translated Korean author. Cursed Bunny. I'm writing it down. Yeah, and it's um, I mean, they are. I will say you know incredibly bizarre some of them are ghost stories some of them are you know you would be hard to categorize them as a as a genre but just absolutely you know as you say that you're diving right into the middle of a story you know it's all happening I know and then you you're kind of part of the enjoyment of the story and part of the process of the story is actually just kind of working out where you are you know where am I in the world you know what's happening who am I with and that's there's something quite thrilling about that that I think a short story offers. Oh, I found my note, Jack, from this. So I was lucky enough yesterday to go to a lunch with um, the Women's Prize in Audible, and oh, it was for the dis- discoveries authors that they yeah. the shortlist of discoveries authors, which is all about discovering new amazing debut voices. And um, we ended up all chatting about and and Meg Wolitzer was the one that came up. Uh, who's supposed to be a brilliant short story writer. But going back to the past, Catherine Mansfield, someone reminded me is a great, so I'm going to look at those. But also something called Secret Loves of Church Ladies, which I wrote down. So I'm going to look that up. But yeah, no, lots of, there's lots of people who absolutely adore short stories. And I didn't realise, often have like a collection by their bed or to dip into, or you know, alongside their other reading. Mm. So I can see I'm going to, I remember when I was with, um, when I was looking after Maggie O'Farrell, when she had written her memoir, I Am, I Am, I Am, which is about her 17 brushes with death. We, I went on a whole memoir reading extravaganza because we were on trains a lot together, Maggie and I, and she was telling me about all the different memoirs that had inspired it. So I was just reading memoir. And I love that when you go down a kind of, you know, you go into a whole new area. And talking about memoirs, I am also reading at the moment, this the kit deval without oh, warning yes. and only sometimes because uh, i love kit's writing yeah i think she's amazing and this is her memoir about childhood and i just loving it i basically all the characters feel so real 
Yes. Uh, so it's got that brilliant thing that you you get with the best memoirs where it doesn't feel memoiry. It feels like you're reading a story, you know, a proper yes. story. And she's just so talented at character. And also, you know, she managed to instill it with her own spirit of an adventure. But, you know, she had a tough time, tough childhood. So I'd really, I'm really enjoying that. So I'd recommend that to anyone. Yeah, so that's what I'm reading at the moment. I love those. I love a, a, a glimpse into someone's life, I think, mm. is um, such a, I don't know, a, a, you know, it's such a wonderful thing. And uh, memoirs are always, you know, there's always a great draw there. And oh, definitely. I, I find I go through periods where I don't read them and then what, I'll pick up one. And I think, what you know, why haven't I been reading more of these? You know, I mean, it's true for most kind of books, you know, there's so many different areas you can explore that you leave one for a while. And then when you come back, you're like, why did, why did I ever leave? But then you think that for all of them. So, yes. <laughs> I think um, as well, if you've read novel after novel after novel, sometimes reading a memoir could be like a palate cleanser. It's just like yes. a cut through and then you, and you kind of go into a different mode of thinking. It's a different way of thinking and it can really push you into worlds that you might not have explored otherwise. Yes, absolutely. Well, one I will recommend if uh, um Ooh. if you don't mind me, yeah, don't mind me recommending one over the no. podcast is actually the recent Nobel winner. I've almost every t- every time a writer writes the Nobel, I've almost always haven't read them. I will fully admit no, that me on neither. the podcast. I'm yeah. terrible and then I think, "Oh no, I'm a bookseller." I feel <laughs> I feel I like know. you feel I bad, have, yeah. Oh, you feel yeah, you feel guilty because someone will come in or 15 minutes later after the announcement and go oh, have you read the... No, and I'll be like, oh, no, I haven't. This is the first year where I have The Years by Annie Erno, which oh, is yeah, about... Oh, yeah, I've heard it's um, amazing. Uh, it's just extraordinary. And that is... Yeah, I'm going to read that. Is that a memoir, biography, history. Yeah. Again, I think it's sort of, you know, it doesn't sit neatly within the, with the, the boundaries, but I think many great books, you know, don't. But, you know, I picked it up just on a whim a couple of years ago and it just drew me in and didn't put me down until... Oh, I'm going to have to buy that now. Yeah, oh, if sorry. only I could just yeah. nip round the corner to your bookshop. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. The what the one the the recommendation I had that probably has stayed with me more than any is um it was Maggie O'Farrell who told me to read it is Giving Up the Ghost by Henry oh, Mantel. Yes. Henry Mantel. Yeah. And, and I'm telling everyone at the moment, look, uh, it's just it's just absolutely brilliant. Yeah, it's so so good. So that was one of the ones that I read when I was in that. But yeah, I've heard good things about the Annie Erno, so I'm going to have to buy that now, Jack. Thanks yeah. a lot. No, sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry. Yeah. Sorry, that's another. That's another. Yeah, another yeah. another ten pounds gone from the bank yeah. account there. Yeah. yeah. And now for actually quite a big question because we, you know, we've discussed books from your, you know, from your childhood sort of books that you've read recently now. And a big question we always ask, which I would be perfectly honest, I would struggle to answer myself, is a book that changed your life. I think there isn't one, but yeah. there are maybe three or four that, so I would definitely have Jane Eyre there because there's something about what's achieved with that book in terms of the sense of the physicality and the and the passion between mm. Jane and Rochester and that feel you know I always remember that bit in the book where they're apart because Jane's had to flee because she, she, she he's already married and she talks about the line that's being stretched between them and she hears him calling and I just remember when I was reading it just thinking about the way as a writer Charlotte had created this 
this absolute belief in the reader in, mm. in in that in that bond between the two of them and you just your heart's in your mouth because you want Jane to go back but you know that she shouldn't um and you know that it's wrong and I think also for me when I studied that because I went and did English as a degree and I remember exploring this idea when I was studying it of um you know, the idea that actually almost Charlotte has to castrate Rochester mm. to enable Jane to go back to him. So she go, when she goes back to him, he's blind yeah. and he's broken and he's burnt and he's, you know, he's a shadow of, of the huge man he was, the huge threatening and, and sexually imposing and, mm. and controlling Yes, man that he was and it, it's almost in a way that actually Charlotte could only see that as an option yes. for Jane and I remember studying it from a sort of feminist point of view and also looking at the challenges that the Brontes met at their time as mm. writers writing under male names under pseudonyms and the way they were received and what they really had to encounter. And I kind of went, one one of the things that probably is biggest in in terms of my life of thinking about authors is those three, the three sisters as well, their relationship. And I think probably like everyone, I've sort of gobbled up every, every, there's a brilliant book called The Bronte Myth. Is it like Lucasta Miller? Oh God, it's so good. Um, I'm just going to quickly look at that while I'm talking to you. Um, But I sort of gobbled up everything about the, you know, I grew up with my father telling me stories about, I don't know whether all of them were true, Jack, but brilliant stories about, you know, the one about Emily going out onto the moor and tackling the rabid dog. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and coming coming back with, you know, a bite and holding the bite in an open flame oh. uh, to cauterize it. Yeah. Uh, and just this, I mean, I know there's a lot, um, and that's why this book about the myths around them. and Yes. Uh, uh, but there's a lot to sort of analyze there and think about you know what is actually true and what's not but just the ideas even the ideas around them the stories around them not just their stories but the stories I just that really is at the heart of why I love books and study and why I loved studying books um, and also the myths around authors so that's big for me and I've already talked as well about why Anne was this idea of the yes, flawed, yeah. flawed heroine I suppose I, I see it in moments as much as books but when I was a bookseller they I arrived with all this very good um classical you know educated yeah. on books knew a lot about the Victorians loved the Victorians knew but really was so far behind on my modern reading and that mm. was because I had a father who wasn't who sort of reading stopped at D.H. Lawrence yeah. <laughs> um, and um I so I was you know became a bookseller and they were all really cool really sneery about why I had not read On the Road by Jack Kerouac why you know and it was the time of uh, train spotting and Irvin Welsh yeah. and and it was just such an exciting time. And I just was like, fine, bring it on. And I was just, it was just that time when I was, you know, early 20s. And I was just gobbling up everything yes. from Isabella Lende to Irvin Welsh to yep. uh, the new Kate Atkins. And I just read, and I remember that as much as a time of inspiration for me as in any individual book, just suddenly going, oh my God, there's so much more to my reading than the mm. Victorians or. So taking that basis, but there was a brilliant moment because they were all really sneery with me. You haven't read on the road and you haven't read. <laughs> and so then I quickly was catching up, but I remember someone came in and asked for the Vicar of Wakefield and everyone looked at behind the till were like, 
George will know. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, it's Oliver yeah. Goldsmith. I'll just find it for you. Uh, so, so I sometimes got my revenge on them. But it was that sort of time. So those are the key times, I think. So that early preteen moment around Anne of Green Gables, Little Women, those kind of mm. books idea of family and what family means and, and what it means to be a girl as it were you know mm. I use girl deliberately and and then the kind of great discovery of the big myths of literature you know the mythology around the Brontes and and then moving to that early period where I suddenly were like oh my god like a child in a sweet shop um you know expanding my reading so those are kind of those three moments for me that those kind key of, yeah Rather than if that gives you a sense of those are the big things when I look back on my reading that changed me, yes. changed my reading. Absolutely. And I think moments, I think the idea of actually particular sort of reading moments or turning points is a common theme mm. when we ask this question of, yeah, moments where it wasn't a single book, but it was maybe discovering a whole area that I, ha you know, hadn't gone to before, which, you know, for a bit like us talking about, you know, when you go back to reading memoirs or something and you're suddenly yeah. like, you know, it's a real, you can feel the sort of gear shifting and you're like, yeah. oh, now actually I'm, you know, I'm going in. It's so nice direction. that when it happens, Oh, isn't it's it? such a lovely... It's uh, a but lovely I also thing. really remember this one period where I had this fantastic aunt and she, she, she read a lot of um, modern literature and she was a good contrast for me in my in my development because with my father, he was, you know, unprepared to look past D.H. Lawrence. And <laughs> she took me into a bookshop once. And I remember her just scanning the tables of all. Yeah. And just picking up books and going, oh, yeah, Chicago Tribune. Oh, yeah, I, I, I really like what they like. Or uh, I really, oh, look at this review. Oh, yes. Oh, I've read something else by this. And just literally she was just kind of scanning and she came out with a pile this book and it was just one of those moments where I was like I can do that too yes. but also the discovery that you know recommendation mm. I think that was that moment for me where I first understood about you know she was also talking to the booksellers about what you know and she had yeah. this ongoing relationship and it was there were some newspapers she trusted there were some authors names she trusted there was some but also she was really influenced by book jackets and yes oh yeah it, yeah absolutely. it was when I began to sort of think more of the business side of books yes. and and what makes you so I remember that as a real moment and my father had a small academic publishing house and he did everything in it from jacket design to copy to, oh, wow. yeah. Oh, so, my. and I used to sort of go to the London book fair with him when I was, you know, 11 or 12. And I just remember being fascinated in all the different mm. parts of the job, um, including going in with him to book bookshops and selling the books. He would do yeah. the rep side of it as well. So yeah, there was, it was definitely very much in my family and in my story to, to love stories and, and also just to be interested in the business of books. Yes. And actually, you know, what you're saying there about, you know, getting recommendations kind of, there's a social element to books as well, you know, whether it's within a family, you know, people being, you know, passed books on by different family members or chatting to friends or booksellers. You know, we think of reading as a solo thing, which, of course, it, it is most of the time. But actually how you come across books can be an incredibly social, you know, social, emotional thing. You know, it's oh, a connection with a the family. Yeah. And that's, yeah, one of the sort of beauties of it, really. One, one of the things I love about being in the office at work at my desk, where, so I was in publishing uh, for 20 so years, um, running the press office at Headline. And now I'm at my desk, the, the PR agency. Oh, and we yes. do yeah. and we do PR across 
festival book festivals book prizes authors I've really enjoyed that because you know it sort of expanded my understanding of Mm. the trade and the industry um and we look after bookshop.org and the BA and yeah so so loads in the trade so that's been absolutely brilliant but one of there's nothing that beats and it's particularly after lockdown I'm sure you feel the same is it be I mean when I'm in the office and we're all going you know people go oh George I saw you that you tweeted about so and so oh god you must read so and so you know that kind of chat that you get about books with people who love books as well and know a lot about books it's nothing beats it that kind of social side of it in my opinion and at book events too you know. Oh, so fun! Absolutely love them. You know, it's such a, it's such a They're great experience. You know, to to have that. You know, have those recommendations speak to people, and you know, for you as well. You know, we talked about these big book turning points. I feel obviously a big book turning point is going to be the publication of you know of your own book. And what and what's been so wonderful about our conversation so far is there's a, is a few little you know themes have mm. arrived that you know there's a lot of talk of kind of you know family or kind of yeah. you know books you know books about family and like connections mm. between people characters Definitely. characters who are flawed you know exploring those kind of gray areas of you know just being a kind of a human being mm. um and that seems you know highly relevant to to the garnet girls so yeah for those listening Tell us about the Garnet Girls. Tell us, you know. Yeah, it's so true, Jack. I think um, really I just wrote the kind of book that I love reading. And so the Garnet Girls is is, is about three sisters and they their father, who was a really kind of sexy, charismatic poet, but a drunk. I mean, he, with an alcohol problem, an addiction problem, left them when they were very young. And... Um, there's a sort of mystery around what what happened and their mother's not really helping that mystery, Margot. So she's about to turn 60 and she is herself a, a huge character. She, you know, still so alive, behaving badly, yeah. having affairs, um, having parties, but also so much love for her three daughters, but uh, sometimes not showing it in the best way. I trying to control their lives and probably trying to overcompensate for the fact that they don't have a father, uh, trying to be both parents and having a very clear idea of what she thinks they all should be doing. But of course the girls and the girls are all in their thirties um, at different stages. And one of the things I really like is I often feel there are too many books about people in their twenties. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> yeah. actually thirties is so interesting because for a woman particularly, you know, it can be the, the the real time when people are expecting you to make some tough decisions, tough yes. decisions about are you going to have a baby? What's happening with your career? Is that person you've been with a long time actually the one? You know, how many people yeah. do we know in their 30s suddenly go, oh, my God, I've been with this person since oh. university. Yeah, there's no way I should be with them. And it's a, just a really, really crux point. Yeah. So I really wanted to explore that. And also with Margot, I really wanted to explore. And it was a bit of a shock for me. I literally I turned 50 this year. And it was a bit of a shock for me because in my head, I'm like everyone, I'm still 25 or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> when I suddenly realized that Mar- I was nearer Margot's age. Than I was, oh, the, right. yeah, yes, and that was a shock to me. And I was thinking, well, really, am I going to be that different in ten years from now? Am I really going to be, have lost all my spirit and fun? And so, I really wanted to explore that with Margot that you could have an older protagonist that's not stuck in the corner, not being allowed to be anything other than a grandparent, which you do get a lot sometimes in books. 
So she's basically trying to get the daughters to do, and they don't want to. They they want to do their own thing. Um, and it's very much about how the past affects family and how you can live in the shadow of it um, and trying to find your own way. And also about leaving home and rejecting home, but also yes. always being pulled back to it. Um, and it's set on the Isle of Wight where I have a houseboat. Um, it's a holiday houseboat, which we rent out, but it's in the sea in Bembridge. And so I sort of really fell in love with the Isle of Wight. And that was probably the inspiration for the Garnet Girls as much as anything, as much as wanting to write about mothers and daughters and family, was the settings of the Isle of Wight. And they're sort of, it's on a crumbling house on a beach. And so I, what I hope I achieve is a sense of escapism because that was really important to me when I was writing it because I was escaping into it. Uh, it was locked down and I could, we kept dreaming of walking on the beach. And, oh, I yes. And then, but also I think that the Garnet Girls, a couple of people have said this to me and I, I hope it's true, is not sentimental. It's not a sentimental book. It's quite a tough, there's tough stuff in it. And yes. the girls, you know, go through quite a lot and so does Margot. And so escapist yet not sentimental is probably the best best description mm. of it. And yeah, I just, I, I'm really excited to have people read it. I've been really lucky. I've had some lovely quotes from authors, but I really just, um, I'm getting excited now to get out and talk to people about it. And I'm really proud of it, actually. I was very aware, Jack, as you can imagine I would be, of not wanting it to go out before it was ready, just because of being in the industry yeah. and people thinking, oh, this book by Georgina Moore and, you know, she knows everyone in the industry. So I, I was very conscious, self-conscious about that in the early stages um, but I did a lot of hard work on it before I was prepared to let it go out. And so because of because I was self-conscious about that and people not thinking that I just got a deal because I was in the industry and so on, you do end up feeling paranoid about that. But the book that's going out there, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy with and hope that people will find something of their own. What's been really nice is the first meeting I went to with my publisher I was talking to my editor and the fantastic marketers that are working on the book were opposite me and they didn't know I, I was sort of had one year. I suppose I should really have been listening to my editor, but I was eavesdropping <laughs> on, on their conversation and they were yes. they were chatting and, and one said to the other, you know, I think you're like Rachel. And she was like, oh, do you think? Mm. But, you know, I do have a touch of Imogen. And then they were like, but so-and-so is definitely Sasha, is it? And I was just like, oh, my God they're talking about my characters and it was like oh it was a real moment because I was like if, if that's if they're real to the readers and that's all you can hope to do isn't it really that's what I really wanted to achieve to make the girls real absolutely the moment you get that from readers that moment of kind of oh who does this person remind me of and you know oh and am I a bit like this person I mean we do that with people in our lives I mean that's the you know that's the greatest compliment to a book particularly mm. a book like this you know where it's the the people are the, mm. the characters are the real heart of it you know I feel yeah. I feel some books you know characters are always important but I feel mm. sometimes an emphasis is put elsewhere but for these ones it really is it's that um you know it's the the emotions, the events that, you know, yeah. of, of people and between people as well. It's quite interesting. So I, I, I was, someone described it as a character driven 
book rather than uh, a plot. So yeah. the character, so the plot comes out of the characters, yes, rather than yeah. the characters being into the. And and I and I was thinking about it. And I hadn't realised I'd done that, but I think that's probably because that's those are the kind of books I'm most interested mm. in. Um, I also live with a psychotherapist. Um, oh. So <laughs> oh. I know, okay. yes. So um, and he was my first reader. And um, he's also someone who doesn't praise easily. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, and I'm definitely a praise junkie. God, I need praise. I want praise the whole time. I'm terrible like that. And, and so I think he's probably there to squash me a bit sometimes uh, when I'm, you know, and he he read it and he had, doesn't read a huge amount of commercial women's fiction. He's the kind of man that takes the heart of darkness on holiday every time and rereads it. <laughs> so, yeah. So that's what I was dealing with, Jack. And um, basically, he said at the end, um, I got a few ticks. It was great. I was Ooh. looking for those. Not very many. But a few. Uh, it feels like this is someone who, oh yeah, in one tick is kind one of tick was amazing. Hard yeah, yeah, yeah. And so at the end, he said, "Oh, I think you've got something here. You've got to, you've got to work on it, but you've got something." And um, he was great, actually. He was brilliant and making me pull out the background, the threads of the characters, so that they were distinctive. And he was really helpful in that way because that really mattered to me that they could. You know, and and um, I had to work quite hard on the. It was quite funny. The editor I worked with on, on the dialogue, she was like, "You're really good at sense of place and characters. Brilliant. Um, we need to do a bit of work on your dialogue because you you do sound like you're in an 18th century novel." <laughs> and she was like, "This does happen sometimes with people who read a lot because I think if you read a lot and you're reading a lot of different, you know, mm. the ear for dialogue when you come to write it, you know, you could struggle with to get the distinctive." And she was, you know, she was brilliant with me because she broke it down. She was like, you've got to get rid of all proper grammar and you, you know, you can't actually reflect how people really speak. It's kind of a modification of that. Yes. But each person's voice needs a kind of its own rhythm and cadence. And it was interesting because actually I go, you know, like you do, Jack, I go to lots of book events and I hear a lot of writers speak about the craft of writing, but you don't actually, unless you're on a proper workshop, you don't actually get the kind of ins and outs of dialogue and how to write yes. it um so I was just like fascinated by all that and I think I'm a, 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 you know I was just like yeah bring it on I'm gonna I'm gonna get better at this so that was really helpful but yeah I'm excited to go out there with it yeah it must be I mean it, you were saying it was a lockdown book something that you know you started then so it's been quite a long process already and I think that moment you know we're seeing now I can see that the book is going out to, you know, readers that, you know, those early kind of reviews are coming in. So you're at that brilliant sort of precipice or, you know, boundary where suddenly that book, which has been shared with, you know, family, with the with the publishers and people involved is now going out into the world. And I think that's such a brilliant moment for a book, because once mm. it's out in the world, it kind of you know, it belongs to you, but it also starts mm. belonging to readers because people will start reading it and thinking, oh, you know, I'm definitely, Sasha is someone I kind yeah, of identify yeah. with more. And it becomes its own thing. It becomes almost living, I think, when it's out in the world with, with readers. I think you're right. And it was funny because it's quite hard at the moment because I'm writing book, I'm finishing book two because I had a two book deal. And, um, so friends and stuff have texted me and you said nice things or said, Oh, I like this bit here or that's really funny. Or, and then I, <laughs> I'm writing the other one. And I just think, 
oh god there's nothing funny in the new one (laughs) there's nothing any good at all in the new oh god there's nothing like that in the new one and then I spend my whole time and someone said to me oh um, I've got a friend who's you know how some friends are just you know they don't gush and but small amount and uh she she uh, sent me a text going um I've just finished the Garnet Girls I may have shed a tear and I was like, oh, but then I immediately jumped from, oh, I made I made my friend cry to my ending's not going to make anyone cry. My new ending's rubbish. I'm going <laughs> to, and it's really bad because you're second guessing yourself on your yes. writing, which, so I've got to learn. I, I, you know, hopefully I'll get better at this to kind of separate the two um, yeah. and not be affected by what people are saying about the first as I'm writing. So I've got to get better at that. But I would say as well from, you know, all the authors I've spoken to, it doesn't, it seems like it doesn't matter if it's your first or if it's your 12th. That self-doubt is such a theme, is such a theme. And, you know, sometimes you're speaking to people and you think, you know, that would be by this point kind of like, oh, I can, I can write whatever, you know, people will read it because, uh, you know, I'm X or Y, you know, these kind of big names but actually, no, that's not the that's not the case. But I think that's because writing, even though it starts as a solitary exercise, is a want to kind of connect to people. I don't think any writer's kind of like, I've written this, and if everyone hates it, then so be it. Because I actually think an important part of it is kind of wanting to connect with those readers. So, you know, it seems like a very human reaction, I think, to writing. I think that's right. And it's, it's interesting, though, and I think this is one of the things that, it's good about doing it now I'm older and I don't know whether, I mean, a lot of people said to me, Oh, George, why, what's taking you so long? And I'm like, well, Hey, that's really offensive. No, um, B, I just, A, I was having, a, I was having such a great time in my career in publishing, having an amazing time promoting brilliant authors and yeah. I absolutely loved it. So that first of all, but I think it, it is the right age for me to do it because I noticed I was, someone tagged me to a Goodreads uh, review on, on yeah. Twitter or whatever. So I went on and went into a bit of a wormhole of looking at the reviews and um, lots of really nice five-star ones. So that was all good. And then one that was like, no, I didn't like these characters. And I think this book's for middle-aged people. I was like, and I was really surprised because I was like not at all upset or flummoxed at all by it. Yes. And I was like, yeah, no, fair. Because I think because I, I know that's not everyone – will necessarily love those characters. And for some people, they will maybe be a bit too flawed or a bit too hard done. And so I so I was quite proud of myself because I, I thought maybe I'd go down a sort of, you know, into a pit of despair when I saw something like that. But I think probably because once you've had, and I'm sure this is the same for authors, once you've had a few people that you really, like there's a lot of people I know who are either reviewers or authors whose taste I love, and once yes. you've had a few of those, you kind of like you've got a bit of a basis, yeah. Um, and you sort of know that there are going to be people who like it, and therefore you you kind of take the you can take a bit of the rough with the smooth in that way. But I think I'm probably am going to be better at that than I would have been when I was younger. Anyway, that's what I'm telling myself to make myself feel better. No, about the fact that- no, but it's absolutely <laughs> true. Every book, you know, every book finds its readership. And actually, I think, you know, I think with writing as well, I think people can write at any point, you know, in their life. But of course, because when you're writing about people, I mean, again, you said you sort of wrote a book that you wanted to read with all the books you've mentioned. You've mentioned that sort of, you know, characters with a beautiful internal world. 
And, you know, you've got that in, in the Garnet Girls, you know, you've got these wonderful characters that you're kind of really experiencing the world sort of through their eyes. Mm. And to do something like that, I think, you know, to kind of take life and kind of process it that way and turn it into a story, you know, I think it's, it's, uh, it's a real skill. And I think mm-hmm. to, I wonder sometimes whether it's harder to do that, you know, if let's say you're in a kind of, particularly when you're writing about a mix of characters, if you're an author kind of in their early twenties, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, than you are. But I think that's the wonderful thing about writing. You know, you can be one of these kind of like young writers that seems yeah. to appear from nowhere. Or well, you, you can do it later. Yeah. I was with the winner yesterday of the Discoveries Prize and, and she's just turned 50. You know, there's quite a lot of people coming into it later as well, which is really nice, I think, because you, as you say, you then get a kind of breadth and depth of experience that's different. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I think if books only came from, I don't know, people in a particular bracket, you know, we wouldn't have the wonderful world of kind of books and publishing that we do. You know, it's different voices. That's what I think everyone sort of craves and, you know... And you're one of those voices now, which must be so exciting. You're you're one of those kind of books on a shelf that someone will reach for, and you very know, exciting. Think, yeah, such an exciting time. Oh yeah, no, I, I I am, and I just one of the things I'll I think I mean I hope I'll get to do is is just being in bookshops as well and talking to people because I mm. really really like that. I've always loved that. You know, I think it's such an important part of the process, and yes. you know, it's easy to get a little bit sort of distracted by you know industry echo chamber but yes yeah but really you know the truth is it's the readers out there and how do you how do you get to them and how do you know and I'm yeah. obviously I'm fascinated by that anyway because that's part of my job yes but I but I am you know and that's why everything from things like your brilliant podcast to going into bookshops and doing any event and you know, I've said to my, I've said to my publisher, uh, you know, because I've seen other authors do this. You know, start at the beginning career talking to just a handful of people doesn't matter. You know, you start and you you just get into that practice of getting out and traveling. So you're not just London centric. You are going, you know, uh, and doing pairings with other authors and supporting other authors and just kind of being making sure you're playing a good part in that whole community. Yeah. Because it is a community, yeah. It's so important. It's so, you know, it's a big part of um, publishing now, I think, is kind of, you know, meeting your potential readers or the booksellers, you know, that's that's a big big part of it now. But, you know, as, yeah, uh, as you were saying, you know, the Garnet Girls, it's kind of very obvious that it's, it's already gaining its readership, which I think is so fantastic and must be so, yeah, fantastic to see. Oh, thanks, Jack. My absolute pleasure. And I think, unfortunately, that has brought us to the end. It's been lovely having you on the podcast. Thank you so much. I've loved it. Good, good. I'm glad. I'm glad. And I've it's... got books to buy as well. Yes, exactly. You've got recommendations. Yeah. So have I. So have I. There's, <laughs> things, there's things on your list that I definitely want to go out and read now. As we said before, The Garnet Girls is published on the 16th of February. It will be available in your local bookstores. Go out, read it. It's a brilliant book and I think we're going to be hearing a lot more about it in the future and I'm looking forward to seeing readers in our shop come across it and I'll certainly be recommending it to them. Georgina Moore, thank you so much for joining us on Mostly Books Meets. Thank you so much, Jack. Mostly Books Meets is presented and produced by the bookselling team at Mostly Books, an award-winning bookshop located in Abingdon, Oxfordshire. All of the titles mentioned in this episode are available through our shop or your preferred local independent. 
If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to check out our previous guests, which include some of the most exciting voices in the world of books. Thanks for listening and happy reading. Thank you.